If you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, we are grateful. You are a good God. And Father, as we bow before you this morning and as we have, at this point in our service, turned our attention solely to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. We pray, Lord, as we continue our trek through the book of Matthew, and in particular, uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, we ask that you would help us to be able to grasp those things that he was explaining and teaching about. We pray, Lord, that these things would have a profound impact on the way we approach you, the way we approach life, the way we live, the way we think, the way we make decisions. The Father, we may truly emulate Christ in all that we do. Knowing, Lord, that as we seek to do this, that, Father, our joy will be increased. Life will be better for us. We will have greater understanding and greater wisdom. And, Father, these things we desire. So, Father, we, we ask, Lord, that we be strengthened through our time in your word this morning. Again, as always, we thank you for this time in your word. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Amen. Again, <coughs> as Jesus begins this section of his sermon, you notice again the wording. He says, when you pray, so the assumption is that you will be praying. Again, that's important. Again, that the, that not that there's no commands to pray, there are, but as Jesus is speaking to a very religious group that does engage in praying on a regular basis, he says, when you pray, and then he's going to begin to give them some instruction about prayer. Jesus is still stressing the point that he made earlier that we talked about last week. Again, in verse 1, it said what? Prepare, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And it's clear that he's continuing that course because verse 5 says what? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, or you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that what? They may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now when Jesus makes that statement, Everyone who's sitting there listening to Jesus, they know what he's talking about. Because there was this very common practice with many of the Pharisees, which was to use public prayer as an opportunity to be seen. To be seen as being righteous. To, to be seen as being spiritual. Uh, to, to, to be seen by others so that others could make remarks about you and how great you are, how pious you are, that kind of thing. 
they, they made sure they would pray in crowded synagogues. So if you went to the synagogue, and let's say for whatever reason the synagogue was particularly full that day, you know, a Pharisee might get up because he's all excited because he gets to reveal to the, the people there his ability to, to speak, but then there's an older Pharisee there basically telling him, sit down, <laughs> I got this. And the idea was, was, again, to pray, to be seen by others. So they, again, will, will make, maybe even make comments about your prayer and what you're doing. They would pray on busy street corners because public prayer was a big part of their life. And so I think it was Arnold. I was talking to him one day about this. And he said that some of the Pharisees basically kind of marked out their territory. Where, where some of the busiest streets, because you basically had a lot of street vendors, because you, know, you didn't have like a Kroger to go to. You know, you go down to a street and there'd be all these tents and various things, and you buy your, your daily needs from, from those individuals. And so there were certain street corners that were, uh, had much more heavy traffic than others. And so there were certain Pharisees who would kind of mark out the corner for themselves at a particular time of the day. And that's then where they would come, and they would then at that street corner raise their hands, and again in a very loud voice, they would pray. And again, the idea was that others would see them and point to them and talk well about them. And just so you know, it worked. That's exactly what happened. People did do that. Like, wow, did you see so-and-so? He's there every day. Man, I, you know, you look at your son, I, I hope you're like him. I want you to love God like he loves God. I want you to pray like he prays. You know, this is the man that I want you to be like, that kind of thing. That, would, that is what would be going on. If you were going to have a party and you want to have a, an individual come and pray to, to begin the party, well, I'm, I'm taking the guy that's down there on Abercorn and Durin. I want him to come pray. I don't want the guy that's at the corner of Skidaway and Diamond Causeway because there's nobody there. Nobody sees them. But everyone knows who that guy is. And uh, so that's kind of the idea that was there. So they wanted their piety to be the talk of the town. Uh, and if their piety was the talk of the town, what does Jesus say? They have their reward. They have the full extent of their reward. So to avoid that temptation, Jesus told his disciples that they should habitually pray in a private room with the door closed so they would not seek to impress even their own family members. Now again, this doesn't mean that you need to go hide when you pray. It, it is suggesting that we do this, that we will spend time with God in prayer in private, and, and you do not, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you don't want to draw attention to yourself. So again, it's not that you don't want others to know that you're praying. That's not what it is. They know, they don't know, it's unimportant. It's what is in your heart, what's your motive? Right? You, you want, you're not doing this to be seen by them. So um, that's, that's what he's addressing here. Of course, then that raises another question. I've seen this question raised. Um, I'm not sure how people make this connection, but some do. But some will ask the question, well, wait a minute. We, we, we pray in public. We're drawing attention to ourselves. We do this in our worship service. I mean, you heard Dennis. Dennis read the scripture, and then he, he prayed. So was Dennis in violation of what Jesus said? Did we all just witness Dennis sinning before us? Dennis, do you need to come and repent? I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't think so. In fact, if you read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, it says, I desire then that in every place that the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 
Now, when Paul wrote that, many believe, and I believe it's correct, that Paul's desire for men to pray everywhere was in response to the idea that the only place you could pray was in the temple. And so he wanted to know that that's, that's, you know, that's not the only place you could pray. You know, sometimes we can get that superstitious idea that, well, you know, we need to go to the church to pray. Like, somehow being in the sanctuary means that there's a greater chance that God will hear your prayer and answer your prayer. There are those who do that, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure there's a lot of tour guides that have seen this in Israel. When you bring a bunch of Christians on tour, there's always going to be some who believe that if they're in the supposed upper room or they're at the place where they say that Jesus was laid in the tomb, that somehow that spot is more sacred. Now, it's okay for it to be important to us. It's not a sin. But the idea that if you pray there, then your prayer is special and God will hear it. And I've even heard stories, most of them are from Arnold, but um, where you know, people show up and they'll take them to this place, which he says, maybe the tomb may not. And people will get out and they approach the tomb and people will go, oh, can you feel it? You know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's just, I mean, it's laughable. You know, I, I think they mean well, but I mean, you know. I even had a guy one time tell me, I was on the phone with this guy, and, and I, as we were talking, he had all different kinds of issues going on. And so I asked him if he was a Christian. And he said that he was, and then he said this. In fact, I was baptized in the Jordan River. And I said, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> I did. And he was stunned by that. He was like, What? I said, whoop-de-doo. He said, what, what do you mean by that? I go, what do you mean when you say you were baptized in the Jordan? Does that, make it, does that mean that you are more saved than someone else? Or that means because it was the Jordan that guarantees that somehow you were saved? I said, it doesn't mean anything. Whether you were baptized there, or you are baptized in the Nile, or you are baptized in a feeding trough, the baptism, I said, that's not the point. And you know what he said? Really? I said, yeah, really. And I asked him, I said, do you really think that God was sitting in heaven and he was watching you? And when you went down to the Jordan River, God then elbowed the angel next to him and said, oh, look at that. He is getting baptized in the Jordan. That's special. He said, well, when you put it like that, I go, well, so the idea is, is that, that uh, when we pray and we pray in public, we don't want to do that. It's the intent of the heart. Matthew chapter 6 has nothing to do with whether we should pray in public or not. The passage is related to the reason we are praying. In fact, there are several examples of public prayer. So it's right and proper for us to pray together and for others to lead us in prayer and even for others to pray publicly. All right? And you could even be praying publicly for the right reason, the sense that the occasion calls for it, and yet you're in, the intent of your heart may still be sinful. That's an absolute possibility. But what we're saying is, it's not, it's not a statement against public prayer. In the book of Ezra, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, While Ezra, Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men and women and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. So here is Ezra praying, praying for the people. Things aren't going real well, and this is what Ezra didn't do. 
When Ezra was praying and weeping, he didn't kind of like open one of his eyes and look around and see there are more people, and then he really got into it. That's not what he was doing. He was praying from his heart for the people of Israel, for the nation, and for what was going on. And he was leading them in confession before the Lord. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8, verse 22 and following, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all of their heart, who have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it to this day. So he was praying publicly before the people. There's nothing in, in the text anywhere that indicates that that was wrong or sinful for him to do that. The most famous, maybe, is probably Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, remember there were some individuals who wanted Daniel gone. They viewed him as a foreigner there in, in Babylon. And uh, so they, they, made it a, they tricked the king into signing a decree that basically you had to... Uh, bow before the statue of the king and pray to it and you could not pray and they had already been watching Daniel and they knew that every day three times a day he would open his windows to face Jerusalem not that he had to do that but that's what he did he faced Jerusalem and he would pray to God and they knew that and so when that thing was signed they're watching to see what he does it says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, Daniel was in the habit of doing this. It didn't matter to him if others were watching. So he was, in that sense, praying publicly, but the intent of his heart was not to be seen. He was seen, but that wasn't his intent. He wasn't worried about them thinking about or he didn't want them to talk about him because he was this great spiritual man. He was there pouring his heart out to the Lord. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. Remember, again, this also is, is underneath the subtext or the, the greater context, which is, what did he say? Unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. And all these things he's been dealing with is the inner man. What, what is going on here? What is driving us? What is motivating us? The outward actions are important, but not as important as what's going on inside. And so we go back to the words of Jesus, and he is not, again, speaking against public prayer or praying in public. He is talking about intent and motives. And again, as I said, remember what he said last week, we talked about giving. He said, but when you give to the needy, do not let the left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be what? In secret. Why? And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And, he, and we, we went through some verses that talked about God the Father rewarding us. It's not sinful for us to want God the Father to reward us. It is a bonus. It's also informing us that God is uh, intimately involved in your life, observing your life and my life with great interest and desires to reward you and I for the good that we do. He, he seeks to reward us for doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is obeying him in this way. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and just like the, of the giving, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, he doesn't tell us what that reward is going to be, what it's going to look like. I think uh, all options are open, but the bottom line is God is noticing. And it, again, it goes back, I guess you would say, to, 
to, to our core nature. Again, we see this, it's, it's easiest illustrated by, by children, and that is this, is that when, when a little kid is playing sport, and, and you know they want to be recognized by others, they want their coach to say a good job, but what they want more than anything is they want to hear that from what? Mom and dad. That's what means the most. Right? Because if, if the coach, no matter how great the coach says you are, if it's normally dad. If dad's the one who says, yeah, well, it wasn't all that great. Uh, that, his demeanor is, the, the kid's attitude is, is totaled after that. It's just ruined. Because the opinion of his father means more to him. It's what matters. And so Jesus envisions this relationship that we have with God. And so God's view of us, God's, God rewarding us, is of great importance. And as we've said before, again, the contrast is that if speak, people do speak well of your piety because of how you pray publicly, well, there you go. That's the extent of your reward. Well, I would like more than that, maybe for selfish reasons, but I do believe that whatever rewards God is going to give me would be probably a whole lot better and much more satisfying. And that's, that's the idea. In fact, you know the same thing happens in, in marriage. It's very important. In marriage, you know, uh, if a woman is loved by a lot of people, that, that's a good thing. But hopefully what she yearns more than anything else is she wants to know that she is precious to her husband. That's what's most important to her. That is what's fulfilling. If, if others give her compliments, that's a good thing. But if her husband never gives her compliments, there's a problem. She, she yearns for that. Just like with the man. The man wants to be respected by others. But the respect he wants more than anything else is the respect of his wife. If, if the man at work, if all of his co-workers think he's the smartest and he's the greatest, in fact, he's the best since sliced bread, but his wife has no respect for him and treats him that way, bottom line is, is his life is miserable. But if he at work is the guy who's always being seen as, you know, he's always causing trouble. He's always asking the wrong questions. And people just, they just don't like him. Not because he's necessarily messing up. They don't like him. And they don't respect him. But he has the respect of his wife at home. He's fine. He's going he's to be okay. And so that, that, those, that, that the, who we get uh, support from is important to us. It's not a small thing. Is an important thing. So Jesus is speaking to a group of individuals that to them, they would highly value the reward from God the Father. That's the epitome. That, that's the greatest thing that you can have. That, that's what everybody wants. And he says, this is how, this is how, this is what the Father is looking for. This is how he expects you to behave, how you should give, how you should pray. And he sees what you do in secret. He's looking at your heart and he's going to reward you. In fact, he was going to reward you openly. In fact, Jesus then adds this in verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So now this is important because he's not only made a contrast with the Pharisees, others who believe as they do, but now he's looking at Gentiles. So the word Gentiles in the Bible sometimes is a word that means simply just non-Jewish. Other times it really is emphasizing more the fact that they're pagans. So I believe here that the emphasis, even though they're clearly not Jewish, but the idea is they're pagans. Pagans also pray. And so, and they were aware, you know, because of the society they lived in, that pagans do pray. So Jesus is going to talk about how they pray. 
because he doesn't want the way they pray to influence them and their thinking and the way they pray. So he says, so do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Then he says again, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So there were some in the pagan circles who thought that because a long verbal prayer would somehow move their God to act, it served as a way to be seen. And then on top of that, if the prayer was answered, they could point to their special way of praying and seek the credit for God's positive response. So the way they would do that is, is the pagans often would do this. They would string together a long line of flattering titles, a long line of titles and descriptions that they believed they could use to manipulate the deity they were praying to. Remember that in pagan circles, they believed the gods were like them, that their gods had weaknesses like they did, that their their gods could be moved or manipulated like a man could be manipulated. It might be more difficult, uh, but you could do so. And so this is what you would do. You would just heap all these praises you know, to these gods who are, you know, you are, you are the great god of the mountains and the rain clouds cannot pass over to the valley unless you allow it. And they could go through all these things. And the idea was is to really butter him up so they could get whatever it is that they were looking for. Uh, and so Seneca, who was a philosopher back then, complained that the verbose prayers of the Gentiles were fatiguing the gods, that the gods were just tired of this. And so Paul, so I mean Paul, so Jesus here, Again, if it wasn't going to be a temptation, I don't think Jesus would have wasted time on this. So he's definitely letting him know that this, is, this can be a problem. So you don't need to do that. You don't need to butter up God. Uh, it, now, when, you know, when we pray, people pray in a lot of different ways, a lot of things that we say. So somebody may be in their prayer as they address God, saying, Lord, I thank you that you are loving, that you are kind. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son Christ uh, and even though we are undeserving because we sin against you on a regular basis, in fact, we were in the middle of sinning against you that you sent Christ because of your great love, and, you, and we go through all that, we're, we're normally doing that for ourselves, which it's a good thing. We are rehearsing the goodness of God. So that does not necessarily mean that you're trying to butter God up, but it could be that. Some people may t- use it that way, thinking that if I put all that stuff together, then whatever I'm asking for, God's going to go, well, of course. Because doesn't that, doesn't that work with you? Maybe to a degree. Like, like may, As you get older, I guess we become much more cynical. When someone comes up to me and the very first eight things out of their mouth is how good I am, I'm, first, I'm thinking, what's up? You know? Like, what do you want? In fact, I almost want to say I don't have any money. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of because that's what people do. Either they want to get on your good side or whatever the case may happen to be. So again, there are some who, who may be going through a list of things about God, but they truly are praising the Lord. So the idea is not for you and I to jump to conclusions when others are praying. The most important aspect of the Bible when we are looking at it is to, is to examine ourselves. Why are you doing that? And it's not a prerequisite. You don't have to go through all those things when you pray to God. That's not a requirement. There's no, there's no special formula so you can get things from God. That's not not what prayer is supposed to be. We are asking him for things, absolutely. And we want him to answer our prayer. But there's no formula that we can, you know, so that we can kind of push his buttons, so to speak, so that he kind of loses all judgment and gives you whatever it is you're asking for. It's just not going to happen. 
So when Jesus makes this statement, you know, he, he knows what's in the heart of these individuals. He knows that they are very much aware of how other people pray and even how the pagans pray. And he knows that they may be thinking, wow, that sounds so good. If I, I did that in, in a Christian way, man, that would be really powerful. Oh, I need to be careful with that. So as we think about this, Jesus, again, is not scolding or speaking against long prayers. I guess the question is, why is it long? If you are using, again, several phrases and cliches just to lengthen the prayer or to make it sound more spiritual, then yeah, you fall into this category. But again, there may be many things to say to God. But in doing so, you're not trying to manipulate him or trying to sound spiritual. So again, don't pass judgment. I know that if you're in a church long enough, we sometimes can figure out just through experience that certain people when they pray, they pray long. And sometimes we get a bad attitude. We look to see who's reading the scripture today. Oh, this guy's going to be praying for most of the universe today. You know, we, and, and that's, you know... <laughs> That's not a good thing, all right? Don't have a bad attitude. If they're praying from their heart, then you know you need to be praying with them, all right? At the same time, you should not be thinking, oh, he always prays really short. We're going to get out early today. Okay, that's, that's not how we should be thinking, all right? So whether you pray long or short, the idea is what, when we say pray from the heart, what we mean by that is that you are you're being authentic, you're coming before the Lord, Length of prayer matters not to God. So then, if you've been asked to pray for a meal, you don't have to pray for the missionaries in Afghanistan and Bangladesh. I mean, you can, I guess, if something special has happened. But it doesn't make it more likely that God's going to bless the food. All right, so if you just simply just say, Lord, thank you for that. It's okay. That's not wrong. Short prayers, long prayers, it's the intent of the heart. I'll be honest, the very first time that Cindy and I had Arnold Futenbaum to our house for dinner, you know, you think of this guy, he's, he's well-known, maybe not as well-known as some other people, but this guy, you know, he, he knows the word, and he's, he's the guy we go to because he, he knows scripture so well and all this, and so we sat down to pray, and I, I said, Arnold, would, would you mind asking the Lord's blessing? He goes, absolutely not, and uh, he said, Lord, thank you so much for this great food, amen. <laughs> I just... You know, and he looked, at, he looked at me and he goes, let's eat. <laughs> I said, okay, we will. All right, so again, the idea is, is that, that um, you know, there are times it's appropriate to pray short because of the occasion. Um, but the idea is, is what's going on in your heart. We want, to, we, want to, we want to bear our heart to the Lord. And if it's long, it's long. If it's short, it's short. You can't butter up God. So don't just think that somehow your request will most likely be granted because you used a lot of words or you sounded very spiritual. Um, and there are times we want to be careful in judging others, but I've been to some public prayer meetings, and I think some of the people that prayed, I do think that it was all about them. I do. I mean, I'm not going to tell you who they are, because I could be wrong, but it, it just seemed, based on the words they said and the way they were doing things, that it seemed to be kind of more of a show, and that, that, bothers, that bothers me. Um, it's, it's not, we're just not to be doing that kind of thing as believers. But again, that does not mean that we want to somehow shy away from or think poorly of anyone praying in public, right? Because not, that's not what Jesus is getting at. So Jesus adds this in verse 8. Once again, do not be like them. So he's adamant about this. But then he throws in this little curveball, 
right? Because again, people are thinking that they're going to get what they need or get what they want by adding all these extra words. He, and it's like, I said, oh, by the way, he says, the father already knows what you need. Before you ask, he already knows. So, and if we believe that God is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, and that he is a good father who knows all of our needs, then that's true. So why bother to pray? Well, God commands us to pray. Jesus instructs us to pray. And we'll even detail exactly how we should pray. We can see that in this prayer, we are to ask God for things. But the question still remains, surely God desires to grant us all these things anyway as his children, so why pray for them? John Calvin said this, he said believe that he believed that prayer is not so much for God's benefit, but rather for our own. Of course, God knows what we need even before we ask for it. Yet it delights God when we humble ourselves and pray to him. It demonstrates that we need him and it stirs us to love and worship him and know him as our true source of life. Our affections and zeal for the Lord grows as we pray to him. So there's a lot of really good things in there. All right, so now God's not playing a game where he says, well, you need to pray because it's good for you. It is good for us. But this is how God desires that we communicate with him as he also communicates with us. So praying to the, so this is some of the benefits for us. So praying to the Lord helps us to understand more of God's character. Why is that? Well, the act of praying reminds us of our frailties, of our weaknesses, of our needs and sin as we ask God to help us in these things. It is as we confess our sins in prayer before our Heavenly Father that we come to know Him more as the one who's altogether perfect, good, and holy, who forgives us of all of our sins in Jesus Christ, who does not treat us as our sins deserve, who has compassion on us and satisfies us with good. So you see, when we pray, we are, we are acting out and reminding ourselves and we're living out these truths as to who God is and who we are. And so this, has, this should have this a genuine humbling effect on us because of the truth in which we're dealing with. Prayer also helps us to see God's faithfulness and goodness in our lives. As we see God continually answers our prayers, we will know him as a truly faithful father who desires to give good gifts to his children. So in our family, there's been certain times because of certain events where we as a family have prayed for things and then we're able to share those stories with our kids, remind them, remember how God answered prayer. So no one's ever thinking, well, I don't know why this happened, but these people showed up and we got help. No, 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 no. No, we, we prayed. God is the one who did this. This did not happen until after we asked God. And, it's, it's, and the more we think about it, it's miraculous as to how that took place. I don't know how it happened, but God in his sovereignty is, is terrific and he's watching out for us and he meets our needs. And so when we pray and we ask God, it reminds us when, when prayer is answered, uh, sometimes we might even be stunned, like, whoa, I mean, I, wow, I just prayed for that. Yeah, absolutely. God is doing that because he loves you and because it pleases God to work through our prayers. And here's this thing, when, even when it comes to God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and God being all-knowing in all of this, there's some certain things that are very difficult for us to grasp and how they come together. But the bottom line is this, praying does actually make a difference. It makes a difference. Throughout the scripture, God's people pray, God answers those prayers. Moses, pleading with God to spare his wrath from the Israelites after they had committed idolatry with the golden calf, God relented and had mercy on the people. 
Elijah asked God to send rain upon Israel after a long drought. God sent rain. James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. God really does hear all our prayers through Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. Through prayer also, we know the providence of God. We come to experience for ourselves this truth, that God works for good in all those who love him, that he really does provide all that we need in his own time, in his own way. He indeed wills to help us in our troubles and pain, to provide for us in our need, to work the many hardships in our lives into good for his glory. And it's awesome to know that. When, uh, when, we, when I, when, when uh, early on in my life, uh, we were married, we, still, we had four kids. We were living on the big island in Hawaii. And where we lived, we did not have access to city water or plumbing. You, had, and you couldn't dig for a well, so it was rainwater. So everybody had a pool in the yard, but you didn't swim in it. There was a water catchment system. And uh, you, know, you had a couple of filters over the house, and so the pool would catch the water, and then when you turn your water on, it runs the, you know, that's how you do everything. So you gotta be in a place where it rains. You know, because we had a pool, it was a 10,000 gallon pool, and you'd be amazed at how short that water will last if you're not paying attention. Uh, but where we lived, it rained a great deal. Uh, so your, your life depended on, on this. And so one uh, Saturday morning, we got up, it had rained the previous night, and I looked at, at the water catchment, and it was about that deep, which meant there was a leak somewhere. And we were in trouble. Now, I was a missionary jail chaplain, and I hadn't gotten paid. So there was, I mean, there was literally no money. There was nothing. Well, I had $5 in the checking account. That was it. And so there's no way to pay for a new liner. And uh, I'm I, we're like, what do we do? And so we, I mean, we, we have no choice. We just, Lord, we, we need help somehow. Well, you know, as we're using, we're, you know, conserving water. You know, it's Saturday morning and we're conserving water. And Saturday night, thank goodness it rained again. But the next, the next morning, the water level was, it wasn't here anymore, it was now here. It should have been full from the rain that we had. And so I, you know, we prayed and we got ready and went to church. So we went to church. Now, where we live, we don't have any neighbors. Well, we had one set of neighbors and then there was no one else for acres around where we were. So we go to church that morning. So when we finish, uh, one of the deacons in church came up to me and said, oh, uh, Pastor Kagawa, he was the pastor, wants to speak to me. I said, okay. So we go in the back uh, office when church is over. And I thought that he wanted, there was some inmate he wants me to go see. Some guy got arrested. And he's standing there and he says, I hear you have a water problem. I'm like, how does he hear this? My wife hasn't told anyone. I haven't told anyone. How do you hear this? There's no neighbors to see. No one's singing songs about this. What do you mean? And, and you know, so he's just saying, we hear you have, he says that we normally never do this. We don't give anyone cash. He said, but we've already checked, and a new liner is, with tax, $205 here. I was blown away. Of course, I tell Cindy, you will never believe what just happened. Because it's unbelievable. I said, we pray. Who else do you blame? Who gets the credit? There's only one person. God did that. How did God do it? To this day, I don't know. I mean, there's no one flying a drone overhead. You know, we're not important. No one's spying on us. But nonetheless, 
Monday morning, I call a place. I need a new liner as soon as possible. They can come out today. The guy said it'd be $205. Cash in hand. And they can, amazing. We see the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God. We are not self-sufficient. God is a loving, kind Father. We, it encourages our faith. God is watching over us. Truly, God has our back. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And so I just want you to be encouraged that when Jesus says what he says, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the Pharisees who want to be seen by others. When you pray, go in the room, shut the door, and pour out your heart to God. And God will answer your prayers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your goodness, grace, and kindness. We thank you, Lord, that we have access to you through prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you do care about our needs, even our wants at times, and you meet our needs and you answer prayer. And Father, there are times which might even, is in one sense, even more exciting, where we are unable to explain the means that you use to provide for our needs, and yet, once again, you provide exactly what we need, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that for those here this morning who have not yet experienced that, it may be because they've not yet really prayed or they don't pray for enough things. I, I ask, Lord, that you will allow them to experience your specific answer to their specific needs and requests, that their hearts may be encouraged. We thank you, Lord, that you do watch over us, that you are intimately involved in every aspect of our life, and that you really do have our back, and we are grateful. I pray, Lord, that this would cause us to be encouraged and strengthened to live in obedience to what you've said. And as we've talked about today, to pray. Thank you, Father. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.